0: Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. The Mississippi River is America's most important inland waterway. It's a lifeline that moves essential commodities to market. When the water level drops, the US Army Corps of Engineers must dredge the river's ports to keep ships moving. And that comes with a big price tag, says Ned Mitchell, research civil engineer at the US Army Engineer Research and Development Center. Mitchell manages NavPortal, a digital twin of the river's ports and channels that monitors conditions and analyzes vessel traffic. That means they can't anticipate costly shipping bottlenecks and delays.
1: Even a a modest percentage improvement, right, is tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars. That's millions of dollars just just to transport these dredges between locations.
0: Esri's John Lenahan explores how a real-time dashboard maintains the flow of essential goods along America's second longest river.
2: Welcome, Ned, to Esri and the Science Aware podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you. I'm I'm happy
1: to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
2: Before we go any further, can you just tell me a little bit about your organization and and the center that you work for within the Army Corps? Sure. So we are
1: known as the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center, or ERDC, as we're often called. We're headquartered out of Vicksburg, Mississippi, at the Waterways Experiment Station, which has a long history, I guess, almost 100 years at this point. It's a consortium of, of Army research laboratories. I specifically work for the Coastal and Hydraulics Lab, but we have uh, six others that are uh, focused on other aspects of of the Army's uh, overall mission space. And so we, overall, Ertic is, I think, 2,000 plus scientists and engineers from all over, specializing in all kinds of different engineering disciplines that that relate not just to the Army's mission, but the broader department of defense and even support to other other agencies and and academia so really a broad range of activities covering just about every engineering discipline there is maybe not maybe not all but but close and one of those main areas of support is to the army corps civil works mission and so these are the things most members of the public are familiar with right maintaining ports and waterways like we're discussing today but also flood control ecosystem restoration even a recreation function throughout the country
2: I read up a little bit on the Mississippi River, and I didn't realize how many ports there are, nearly 60, and all the work the Army Corps of Engineers has to do to make it usable for transportation. Can you tell us about the importance of this waterway to the to the U.S. and, and more broadly?
1: The thing to remember is that it is a, a massive engineered system, right, at this point. Sure, there's obviously a natural watershed there to begin with, but we, for over a century, have been conducting infrastructure projects, waterway engineering activities to keep that system reliable throughout the year so that we're not completely at the mercy of the elements uh, in order to get grains to market and and things like that. 50 ports, I think, throughout the watershed, but you really need to think of it as a distributed system, right? A lot of these ports are dozens of terminals that might be spread along dozens of miles of river, for example. So it's not pinpoints on a map necessarily, It's, it's more distributed Uh, Maybe a conveyor belt might be a good analogy to think about how commodities come from the heartland grain, obviously in the fall, but you also get a lot of upbound fuel shipments, fertilizers, chemicals that are needed for various industrial sectors throughout the interior of the country. So uh, it's a, it's a wide mix of uh, commodity types, you know, to, to supporting a lot of different industries down at the, starting at Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the, the things really shift to more of ocean going commerce and you get a fascinating exchange of, The barge traffic that's that's come down from the hinterland, interfacing then with these ocean-going ships, either at the 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 dock facilities and the industrial corridor that that really is the river from Baton Rouge to New Orleans. So it really is the the connection or the gateway to the kind of America's breadbasket, if you want to think of it that way, right? This uh, you know sort of natural access point, albeit with some (laughs) some significant engineering involved as well. Uh, I guess the one thing I haven't mentioned are the the lock and dam facilities. So Uh, I think we've got 60 plus of those on the, on the Mississippi and the Ohio and the Illinois uh, rivers that, that all converge. And so those are, you could think of them as staircases or, or escalators, right? This is where natural geographic terrain leads to naturally shallow spots in the river that wouldn't be open for navigation year round. And so the locks then essentially hold the water levels at a, at a constant, constant level for several miles up until the next lock. And so you can think of it like a staircase. And so navigation can work its way reliably all the way up to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania or St. Paul, Minnesota year round, right? Traffic closes in in Minnesota in the winter for for obvious reasons, but that notwithstanding, the the locks provide navigation reliably throughout the year.
2: So it's this massive engineered network that kind of runs up the center of the country. Can you tell me about bottlenecks on the river and, and how that happens and, and kind of the impacts? So when you
1: get to kind of the open river free, free flowing uh, state, that is when, you know, obviously the water level fluctuating fluctuations throughout the year can occasionally, when they go low specifically, present problems for for the operators, the vessel operators. And so, you know, a, a flood event happens that tends to shift around the sand waves, the underwater shoals into new locations that it, it might shift the naturally navigable channel that they're used to using, and so when conditions go low, suddenly, suddenly there's a, a shallow spot, right? A, a, a choke point, a bottleneck. To get through there, these operators may need to wait on. They may need to wait on another surge of water to, you know, from upstream precipitation to work its way down the river. That could take days. They they may need to light load cargo, you know, go over with shallower barges. But if they do that, they're not they're not going to be making as much money, or they may lose money. Uh, and the the third option, which we had to rely on just last year is to to get the core to mobilize dredges or or contract industry dredging vessels to to come up and and remove the shoals with through dredging process.
2: So it's not only the river that has seasons, as you kind of indicated, but the freight being moved across the network also spikes in the fall when it's harvest time. So you have to be ready for that and the river has to be ready for that. You created a digital twin to deal with these changes. Can you tell me a little more about that? Sure. So, yes, you're right. During harvest,
1: obviously there is a an increase in traffic because this is, you know, time sensitive. You need to get these commodities to market to be cost competitive. It it may not be quite as significant as as people think. You know, there there's a quite a bit of storage capacity for grain as well throughout the country. But yes, uh, generally speaking, we see seasonal spikes in different commodities. And, and gr- grains bound for export certainly being the the most significant. The digital twin, we we have a platform that we're calling Nav Portal, which is short for Navigation Portal, and it's it's a combination of capabilities, data data processing and visualization capabilities that we've developed within our R and D programs over the last decade plus throughout the Corps of Engineers. These these capabilities have tended to exist apart, right? Just because we've developed them incrementally. We're a very mission-focused organization. So we, we set out to solve problem A and we collect data and do analysis. Elsewhere, another team is solving problem B. But then when our waterway managers and our decision makers need that holistic view of things, it can become a challenge to have half a dozen separate tools and, and data sets, each addressing a, a piece of the big picture. And so navigation nav portal is our is our attempt to, to combine all these into sort of one platform where all the relevant pieces of information can be kind of presented together so that decision makers are, are, are given more of the information that they need that's critical to the decision point. So digital twin is one way to describe this. You've got essentially sensors out there in the real world. Now, these are typically the, the key pieces of information that historically we have struggled to get into the hands of decision-makers on a timely basis, right? If, you, if you're uh, needing to know if you are going to mobilize a dredge, let's say, to address a shallow spot in the river on a particular day of the week, well, you need to know where that dredge is. You need to know its operating conditions. You also need to know the, the essentially the real-time bathymetric conditions. Where, where is that? You know, we've got survey vessels. We've got teams of surveyors that go out every day all over the country and, and survey uh, the, the conditions in these waterways. We've tended to then process that data kind of at the local level. It stays at the respective district in their in their GIS shops. It can be sent throughout, but only if requested, right? And so again, it's been hard to piece together the the, the full picture so that you know the waterway manager that's going to make the decision to pull a dredge off of one location and send it somewhere else knows everything they need to know to, to trust that that's a rational decision. And so again, with our our digital twin nav portal. We've got the latest surveys automatically feeding into this system. We've got the dredges tracked in real time with our dredge quality management program. We've got other data sets that track vessel traffic and and things like cargo throughput. And so that really is rounding out that picture and and the decision makers can see all the information they typically needed to to weigh these decisions in, in a single session. But we have within the Corps of Engineers, you know, I think there are 39 districts throughout the United States, generally organized by watershed, right? That's a a logical way to do it. And each one of those have have operations chiefs and and business line managers and other project managers who help operate and maintain this big, massive engineering system that that we've been speaking about. And so that's our target, our our initial target audience, the ones, you know, kind of tasked with the uh, day-to-day, real-time go, no-go type decisions. We've also got senior leadership at, at our headquarters and, and at our division level offices throughout the country who have to kind of weigh a lot of times these trade-offs. These are the leaders that will hear from project stakeholders, right? The general public, members of Congress who uh, often approach us with questions about the things they're hearing from constituents about decisions the core is or is not making. And so we support leadership a lot with with those kinds of questions and, and data calls as well to sort of trust but verify that what they're hearing matches conditions on the ground or underwater, if you want to think of it that way.
2: Obviously, the, the NAV portal helps businesses shipping and the customers and, and the goods that are being moved. But dredging is a huge demand on the Army Corps of Engineers. Tell us how... Is digital twin nav portals helping with that and how it's impacting kind of the cost and the efficiencies and, and some of the, the dollars spent on dredging as an organization? Sure. So
1: I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Dredging is the single largest activity that the core conducts as part of its navigation mission. And, and I guess by largest, I mean we spend more money dredging than anything else, <laughs> than on anything else we do. That's to the tune of one and a half billion dollars a year to maintain hundreds of, of navigation projects across the country. So there, there's a couple of things that we're able to use within Nav Portal to make that large dredging program more efficient. One of these is, is a system I mentioned earlier. We call it our dredge quality management program. And, and you can think of it as maybe having a Fitbit on each of our dredges, although it's much more complex than that. It's a diagnostic sensor array on every uh, dredge vessel, either owned by the core or contracted by the core. To, to do maintenance dredging. And it's feeding data back in real time uh, that sort of not just tracks location, but operating state and, and really lets us measure the challenge or the efficiency, however you wanna think about it, of, of dredging operations at, at different locations around the country. So we can kind of get a sense of how intensive is the maintenance required to, to keep project A open for navigation versus a, a project somewhere else. So that's a that's a huge amount of information streaming in in real time that's also being archived, which opens up the, the possibility of doing all kinds of data mining and analysis to, to overall looking for more efficient ways to, to maintain these waterways. The other thing that we're doing to, again, make this uh, this large dredging program as efficient as we can is being more coordinated and uh, deliberate with how we sequence dredging work throughout the year. So this is less of a factor, at least so far, on the on the inland system where we we still tend to have to react to fluctuating water levels right and kind of do the best we can there but in the coastal setting which is where most of our dredging money gets spent hundreds of coastal ports throughout the country obviously water levels don't don't fluctuate as much right you've got sea level and you've got you've got tidal range for sure but but we can be a little more coordinated and we can schedule things a bit better in the coastal setting for for dredging maintenance essentially issuing its own contract we can look for opportunities where the same dredge could move in sequence uh, between projects and and do them in, in, a, in a logical sequence that avoids uh, what we call environmental work restrictions. this is times of year when dredging is not a good idea at these locations because of uh, sea turtles or, or other sensitive uh, wildlife and, and habitat and so we we work with the, the resource agencies to to ensure that we're uh, dredging at a time of year that minimizes those concerns and so you, you have to keep that in mind as well because if you send a dredge to a project, during a work restriction, then it's not going to be able to
2: do its job. So the the dredge management activities you, you're undertaking now, with with support of NAB portal, what have been some of the economic impacts of those uh, changes that you've you've applied?
1: Well, so when you're talking about a program as large as our dredging program, I mentioned you know one and a half billion dollars a year that we're spending just maintaining this system. So that that that's not including deepening and expansion of of navigation projects. This is purely the maintenance tail. Even a, a modest percentage improvement, right, is tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars. And just the savings on on dredge mobilization and, and demobilization—we call it—that's that's, those are the costs incurred just to move these massive dredge vessels uh, and, and their crews and all the support equipment uh, and support vessels. I mean, that's millions of dollars just just to transport these dredges between locations. And so, again, if you're if you're not coordinated with how you sequence the work then there's a, a lot of extra travel involved, right? You can you can kind of envision that. So we're looking more towards these logical progressions so that you know dredges don't have to travel as far between projects. And and even just the mobilization savings we believe could be on the order of hundred million per year by adopting this approach
2: nationwide. To be more efficient in your dredge operations seems to have a huge impact. So that that's really exciting to hear. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Our podcast, and thanks to Ned Mitchell for explaining the vital role of the dynamic Mississippi River in sustaining our economy. If you like this episode, please share it with a colleague.